Hey, what's up, guys? It's CJ the Day Slayer from the Upgrade America podcast, greatest show on earth. Hey, special shout out to our Australian family out there. Australia, we know the wildfires are burning. Uh, we're here with you. Hopefully, we see that you got some rain and hope you guys pull through it. You know, um, natural disasters are a part of the human experience. So we hope y'all get through that. Hope you guys are taking care of your families and just doing the best you can. And the globe is supporting you guys. So that's a special shout out from us on the Upgrade America podcast. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. We got a little deep. Um, I think you guys will like it. Thank you for listening. Like, share, and subscribe. Peace. What's up, world? You are tuned in to, wait for it, Upgrade America, the greatest show on earth. I'm your host, Cameron Ra, and executive producer, chilling with CJ the Day Slay over there. What's happening, bro? It's all about the audio on our side. Yeah, man, we here. Oh, we ready. We we came time today, baby. We got indeed. It's gonna be an exciting, exciting episode. I'm glad you guys are, are tuning in. But yeah, peace, love. Thanks for everybody for watching the channel. Thanks to our shout out, our shout outs. <laughs> Thanks to our subscribers, everyone who's listening. I want to shout out the um, the FBI, CIA. NSA, Homeland Security, and all the other clandestine agencies who are uh, monitoring and supporting our podcast. Tell them about that data, CJ. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. we figured this out through our podcast analytics that Virginia has no data on them. So that only leads to our brilliant investigation skills learned from SF, who represent that, obviously, <laughs> we're being monitored. So thank you. Shout out to the... Uh, was it the uh, intelligence agency we appreciate well, you guys not for nothing there's a, a a strong concentration of uh of those agencies in the virginia region and so i mean we can only assume we are talking politics and i it's am politics. president and attempting to take over the federal government so yeah. i can't take it personal but yeah, yeah everyone beyond the, the clandestine agencies and spies and spooks and stuff Thank you for supporting our channel, for liking and subscribing and listening and, and enduring our podcast. Yes. So yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a lot of fun today, a lot to discuss. So um, yeah. Like, share, subscribe, and fasten your seatbelts and enjoy the ride. What well, we okay. got the next one the agenda. Uh, oh yeah, shout out to the international listeners and viewers, especially the viewers too. Um, we got we cover pretty much the whole globe. We're figuring out even one of the areas we're going to be talking about Iraq. So and they've done that, but uh, we we are paying attention to what's going on in your homeland. We're going to discuss all of this, so bear with us. Um, um, our affiliates, shout out to Robinhood. If you, it's never too late to start investing, throw a hundred bucks into your Robinhood account, you're going to get like a 10% return off the rip, free stock. And it's mutual because if you use my link, I get a little piece of that too, and it supports the channel. But again, if you want it about free, 
a free stock. It can be ranging anywhere from like eight to I've seen up to 500 bucks. Depending on the stock market, you, you can make some money, cash out. But yeah, that's a, a, a great way to support our podcast. Shop at Amazon. Use the link in the, in the comments. That will support our podcast too. CJ, any small businesses you want to shout out? I don't know yet. I'll probably do it in the notes or in the links. Um, and I'll probably do it on our IG page, which we got developed now. Upgrade America IG page. Yeah. We got the web page up. We got to put yeah. the audio on there as well. So that's coming soon. Um, you guys check that out. We're trying to concentrate everything in one area so it's easier for you guys. Yeah, we're going to make it easier. We're gonna actually going to turn this to an application in the future. So we can just ping, 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 push notifications all day. Yeah, yeah. that's what's up. I do want to shout out that taco place, man. I had those, uh, the place you took me to in Orlando. Oh, what my boy, Steve-O. Uh, what is it? Black Roostery? I'm, I'm butchering it right now. Either um, way, that that they had by far the best tacos I had. Their, their salsa was on point too. But yeah, we're gonna keep shouting yeah. out small businesses. Yeah, but, I'll um, probably use that as a small business this weekend, and I'll tag them at IG because since I'm friends with them and all that. No doubt, no doubt. But uh, tell me what's going on, current events, pop culture, what's happening? Well, a legend has died. I think the age of seventy-seven, David Stern. Mm-hmm. NBA commissioner, brought the NBA into the modern age, got him off tape delay. That's one of his biggest accomplishments. Hold on, you said tape delay? Yeah, like the games used to play and then they used to uh, record the games and then play it back later. So it wasn't live. You weren't looking at it live. Interesting. And you said his biggest thing was that was probably one of Yeah, basically bringing it to where Okay, so let me jump into a couple of facts that I liked about him. I'm an NBA head. Um, not as much now that I'm an adult, because you know we live adult lives, but I still love the NBA. So he brought in 1990, he brings the NBA to NBC, which is a big deal. So this is harping on what I was just talking about. Okay. Um, I'm gonna read this quick uh, passage. In the 1980s, the NBA finals were often aired on tape delay. By the 1990s, the NBA Finals, when viewed as a whole series, put up viewership numbers comparable to the Super Bowl. Maximizing the league's television presence was a priority for Stern. And for 12 years, NBC was the league's first truly successful t- television partner. He would eventually bring the league to ESPN, ABC, and Turner in 2002. And while there were always, always be ebbs and flows and ratings, it was Stern's stewardship that ultimately made the league into the TV juggernaut that it is today. Um, That's one fact. See, he became commissioner in 1984 and then Magic and Larry Bird just boom, just popped in there. That's when they popped in there. They were two college athlete rivals so they put the NBA on the map as well by them being rivals on the two storied franchises, the Lakers and the Celtics. Um, let's see. One thing that I, other thing I liked about 1992, the 1992, the best dream team Olympic team ever formed, in my opinion. He had like everybody on that team. How'd they do? Man, they destroyed everybody. Um, (laughs) see, see that. Okay, I'm gonna talk about it. Let's see. Okay. The plan was a complete success. They had 
group of 11 NBA All-Stars and one Christian Leitner. I don't know why they put them like that, but... <laughs> so, they stormed his way to a gold medal. Sweet. Um, and they made uh, basketball global by dominating so heavily like they did. They made it gl- a global game. That everyone now, wanted to, like, step their game up because it got beat so bad. Now we got international stars in the NBA, which I like, too. I like seeing that diversity. So, um... Yeah, it had Jordan, everybody on tape, except Isaiah Thomas, which is a big deal because him and Jordan were beefing because of the Pistons and the Bulls rivalry. So, a little NBA history. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed that. So, that's my little sports moment. Uh, rest in peace, David Stern. There you go. That was a pretty uh, interesting um, <clears throat> on what he changed. But you, we take it for granted, you know, like, Everything is live because we have that capability now. But yeah, you bring up a very interesting fact that everyone had to watch it. Hindsight. So um, I can only speculate, but do you think more people were tuning into the radio, listening to the games on the radio since they could get that live than, uh, you know, just waiting for the game to come out? Maybe I was. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe I can see the radio, especially in like more rural areas. Yeah. Definitely. Metropolitan, eh, maybe, you know, it's more to do. So you could probably, you'll catch it when it comes on tape delay. Like, you know, so. I see yeah, that. I can see that. I love sports radio still. Like, I watched another sports moment. I watched the Panthers and the Patriots. I, I listened to the Pan- Panthers and the Patriots on the radio, the full game. It was amazing. Because you got to use your imagination. I was thinking that too. You got to use that third eye, you know, and visualize yeah. Where where it's going, but I can only imagine what the human imagination was was more stronger back then. My heart was beating everything. I was at work, matter of fact, I was on the flight line, Moody Air Force Base, night shift, and yeah, I listened to the whole thing. That's cool, man. So um, I guess where are we transitioning to? Nah, you got anything you want to talk about? Interest topics? Um. Yeah, I, I I seen um, Angel has fallen. That was a pretty good flick. I believe it was on Netflix that I saw. You mentioned it before, mm-hmm. and you talked about how the drones was was pretty creepy. And I I wanted to see. I'm like, CJ's like a fearless warrior. Like, what what would creep him out? And seeing how those drones were moving, I'm like, I get it because it's like it's a lifeless, autonomous enemy. And this technology exists today. And how they employed it in the film was, it was pretty shocking. And um, it it leads me, I knew drones were going to be a, a threat. Like, uh, in, in the future, but I just didn't perceive it. And, and that really helped me conceptualize the, the threat of, of, of these drones. So overall, I think it was a good flick. And I like movies. I like Hollywood because it's like, we see these threats. We perceive these threats, right? Whether it's a, you know, you and me or, or lawmakers. And it's hard. It's very abstract to, you know, conceptualize these. But when you have a film that <laughs> takes these scenarios and you, you see it visually, you're like, oh, yes, this could happen. We need to uh, prepare some counter security measures for it. But yeah, it's, it was pretty cool. Okay. That's Cam's movie review. Finally, he 
I'm the yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like um, <laughs> since it, if we're gonna call it a review, I guess I gotta give my my thumbs up. So where am I right now? Oh, no, I suppose I should start here. Yeah. I'm gonna give it two thumbs up. Wait, can I give it like a half thumb? Yeah, Only because sure. there's some uh, there's some predictability. Like oh, I, I uh, and I don't want to spoil it for it, but you could see who is it. They give slight foreshadowing of uh, who who was implicated in, in, you know, the attacks. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of seen that coming. But, you know, well, every now and then Hollywood uh, surprises me. But most, more often than not, they, they do not. But, yeah, so I'll give it a thumb and a half. Good flick. So you ready for these jokes? Yeah, I mean, it's really not jokes. It's like, okay, so what is this, episode 43? Yeah. Is it 40? Yeah. I think we're on episode 43, Upgrade America, Running Strong. So we're talking about pretty much uh, the the current events mm-hmm. that uh, circling the internet. And I don't want to butcher this man's name. Give me one momento. Soleimani. So we're talking about Soleimani. And more or less, you can't go through Facebook without seeing the memes on World War II and, and no things war. that... World War Two, yo, I'm bugging out. World War, World War Three, and uh, <laughs> World War Three, and, and and everyone's poking fun at this event. So we want to take a moment and, and share some of our favorite memes. I'm gonna go into mine, and then you know, CJ, you, you can share some of yours. No doubt. So actually, no. Nah, before we even go to the memes, let's go with historical facts. Historical okay. data is still funny. But this is historical. So Donald J. Trump tweets on 29 November 2011, in order to get elected, Barack Obama will start a war with Iran. (laughs) Isn't it ironic that uh, he's facing re-election, Donald Trump is facing re-election, and he just blew this guy off the map? But anyways, now here's another tweet from him. Now that Obama's poll numbers are in tailspin, Watch for him to launch a strike in Libya or Iran. He is desperate. Now, again, we're, we're looking at the irony in this. He's just been impeached. And all eyes on me. In my Tupac voice. <laughs> and, like, he launches a strike on a one of the same countries that he accused um, his predecessor of doing. So, again, the, the irony is not lost. I have two more. Bear with me. So... In 16 December 2013, I predict that President Obama will at some point attack Iran in order to save face. These, maybe these are real tweets, maybe they're not. But um, it, it kind of, again, we're running with the whole irony theme. So, let's check out the last one, 25 September 2013. Remember what I previously said? Remember what I previously said, Obama will someday attack Iran in order to show how tough he is? I mean, that's just... There it is. So that wasn't really a meme. Those were historical tweets by the sitting president. So, but these are memes. So, you have a picture of Salami at... Salami. Pardon me. And I said I was going to butcher your name. Soleimani on top, right? This is for our audio listeners. And he's saying... Are you going to send a pallet of cash like Obama did? And then at the bottom of the name, you have Donald Trump smiling with his devilish grin. Yeah, wait at the airport. 
And that's playing on because uh, he got blown up at the airport by the, by the drone strike. Okay, so I got another one that I, I thought was comical. And this one is, it says, for our audio listeners, to everybody who wears a MAGA hat, and it shows uh, Will Smith. <laughs> He's uh, pointing towards, with two ar- open arms, to the Armed Forces Center, insinuating like, hey, if you're you're all about MAGA, you're all cool, you're hardcore, like... Sign up, enlist, go get a piece of uh this this war that uh your the president you so support is endorsing. But that's that's all I got as far as as far as mine. You wanna share your favorite meme? Oh yeah, so to put the cherry on top to active duty and veteran members who have served <laughs> or who are currently serving. Shout yes. out to you guys, guys, speed, you guys and ladies. Indeed, indeed. Um, we know what it's like, so we know all about this. So yeah, we can make jokes. We qualify to do this. So I thought this is a very apropos post that somebody did on a, y'all should check this out on IG. I'm gonna actually shout this dude out. SF Humor, which is Security Forces Humor. It's a guy that runs a comedy page for Security Forces, that stuff cool. that we go through. I like cool. that. So, from his page, I'll put the link and all that in there. Good stuff. For you audio listeners, I'm going to read it for you. So, Staff Sergeant Burns, he's active duty Army. I'm assuming it looks like Army. Um, Nobody is getting drafted. 99% of y'all are overweight, on drugs, didn't graduate, can't shoot, can't run, and don't have an ounce of selflessness in you relax your country will not rely on you for your protection this is true boom but, it is. um <laughs> it's funny that is hilarious but it's like it's it's almost i don't say it's sad like if we really did <laughs> need yes. the, well god and willing it doesn't come to that well let's, let's let's explore that real quickly so if we did say have a war three me and you are getting called up first besides guard i did my eight years they can't touch me oh they're calling us up best believe i know i know what you're saying because we did our inactive like my understanding is like if you have yeah you have if you did your your eight-year military obligation that mm-hmm. you're untouchable but then uh, you're right. World War Three, it is. Um, there Especially are if it hits the homeland, like you know, they're calling us up first, and so, we were in a combat field, so definitely. If they didn't call you up, but you knew it was like this is it, would you get a piece of it? Why not? Why sit here and wait? You know, I mean, I say the same yeah. thing, and I'm like, if it's real, if it's all going to hell, I'd much rather die on the battlefield than waiting for dirty bombs or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. So, yeah, that's that's our take on it. But you know. So, yeah, that, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> like, this is like dark, dark security yeah. forces. It went, it went for dark. <laughs> I mean, I, but they, I hear that about a lot of military members. We... A, we develop a dark sense of humor. It's like very dark. And we That's have how you to have that to endure, and um, we have a very tough job. And you know, it's that dark sense of humor gets you through some dark times. But without further ado, I want to give it a um, an overview to to our listeners about the a timeline of the current events that that just happened, and, and this is pretty much the scope of the okay. uh, of the podcast. So. Brief history on uh, Soleimani. He's a he was a seasoned vet of the Iran Iraq War. 
And um, to some regards, the people in his country, they hail him as a hero. Um, later, he became the leader of the, the Revolutionary Guard Could Force. And this is an organization that the Trump administration, they recently declared them a terrorist organization in April mm-hmm. 2019. Okay. So Soleimani and the Kuds were active in Iraq from 2003 during the U.S. invasion. So that's pretty much when we entered in into Iraq. Yeah. And we're fighting a conventional military force. However, there are others assisting. After that primary army fell, it inspired militias and everyone to go up and do wild things. There's a great chance that I may have endured one up through uh, one of their attacks as they've been active in the region for for quite some time. He's said to be responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Americans. Mm -hmm. And um, the Pentagon claims that Soleimani is responsible for a recent attack on December 27th. And this attack claimed the life of one American contractor and it wounded several other American forces. So on December 29th, the U.S. conducted a, uh, an airstrike in Iraq and in Syria, and they were targeting militias that were um, backed by Iran. And these militias, they were estimated to have coordinated about, let's just say, 11 attacks against U.S. personnel. And the result of this airstrike, it killed 25 militia fighters, wounded a, a shit ton of others, and um, it inspired other militias to raid the U.S. Embassy in, in Baghdad, and they were burning things, trying to get in, and um, it got pretty it, it, it got pretty bad. So, um, for unknown reasons, Soleimani was in Baghdad, and he was hanging out with some of these uh, militia leaders. He, um, he had a convoy, he was heading to the airport, and... They they use uh, a drone attack. I know they're they're saying um, that the the airstrike and most people think airstrikes are, are limited to uh, you know like some sort of uh, F sixteen dropping some ordnance bombs what have you or 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 even uh, even bomber planes. But now more often than not we're using predator drones using mm-hmm. Hellfire missiles. Yeah, and they're they're just. Uh, hitting targets remotely so anyways this was a method of attack that took out Soleimani and his convoys and they hit him with some high explosive ordnance from a drone and they killed him and his passengers and this was on January 3rd 2020 so following this attack a NEO was implemented NEO meaning non-combative evacuation operation meaning like yo if you ain't here, uh, if you're not mission essential, mission critical, like you're getting out of Iraq. So they 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 issued that and they did some evacuations. And Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, he pretty much got on his Death to America campaign and and, and vowed retaliation and, and 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 revenge. So that's where we are today. Do you have any uh, anything to add to that? Yes, I did. I'm I'm scrolling real quick. Okay. Because I sent it to you, but I forgot where I sent you these stats that American people don't know. Mm. Um. Okay, I found it. 
Let's see if I can find. It was very concise. Um. Okay. Now, what stats are you referring to? The war on terror. Okay. The war on terror that the U.S. has waged, basically on Middle East extremists, terrorists, all this stuff combined. This is how many people have died. This is not counting American citizens or civilians, contractors, whatever. A hundred, no, eight hundred and one thousand people have died in this conflict, and the cost has been about six and a half trillion dollars. Six and a half trillion, no? Wow. Knowing what our podcast is all about, understand how much money this is that can be used to a lot of stuff that we talk about on this podcast. Just to put things in perspective, I think our body count for American U.S. troops is like probably 2,800 at the most. I thought it was over 3,000. Something to that effect. Like if, now you combining, uh, if you're combining Iraq and Afghanistan, it's yeah, probably it's all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, here's what you got to consider, and the American people have to acknowledge as well. That six point, would you say six point five trillion? Yeah. Guess what? Guess where the money goes? Like if you have a bomb factory, ching ching, big payday for you. You make yeah. bullets, you just became a billionaire. You make drones, you, you make uh, missiles, what have you. Ching, ching. This war is a cash cow for you. And that's been America for for, a while, for quite some time. What, World War II? Perpetual Basically warfare. War. Yeah. yeah. Basically World like War II. Eisenhower, he, on his farewell address, he's like, yo. So <laughs> we're making so much money off of war. Granted, yeah, we, we fought some just wars. We took out some Nazis and, you know, um, paid Japan back for, you know, for their little sneak attacks. We fought some just wars to some extent. But, like, saying that we will find ways to make... If we can't find a just war, we will find ways to stay at war because there's so much money being made off of war. And he, he gave that, that, that warning. I don't want to say this is one of those reasons, but Trump did just sign uh, the biggest military pay raise in, in history. And oh, okay. um, so you already know that's going to the soldiers are like, yeah, we getting paid or not the soldiers of uh, the, the military members, our warriors who are they're cool. getting paid the that budget. When you increase the defense budget again, you make bullets, you make bombs, you're getting paid. So it's like. There are the, the the majority of the nation seems to be uh there I don't know how still gauging the the nation's perception on this but there are people who are happy right now. Mhm. Um. Just a quick note: you were talking about like the bomb makers and all that, the major defense corporations. A lot of their stocks have gone up if you pay yes, to, to the stock market. So if you own no stock, which I'm sure somebody does listening, you're you just got a little percentage increase there. Or if you want to be a war dog and you want to profit off a of war, look at uh Northrop Grumman, look at Lockheed Martin, Raytheon. That's Raytheon. Pretty much, I'll put it to you like this: drones are the future. So you need to look in who's manufacturing these drones and buy their stock. It's Is going it to go up. I think it's Boeing. Boeing. No, they're, they're, Boeing has the contracts for a lot of our like C-130s. It might be Lockheed Martin. 
it's I think one of Lockheed Martin. It, maybe they make the Predator drone. I know Lockheed makes the. Uh, it's not Lockheed or or Northrop Grumman makes the F-15, but uh, they're big defense contractors for the Air Force. I'm yeah. not trying to tell you where to go, and I'm sure ain't no financial advisor. But war stocks, defense stocks go up during conflict. Um, you want to dive into some of these questions? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I asked the first one. Okay. As president, how would you handle this situation? Okay. So this question is a bit difficult to answer because I don't have all the facts. Of right course, now. you would, you would be privy to more intel but, and everything. And, like and here's here's. I will answer it like I'll give you an answer though. So it all depends on what Soleimani was doing in Iraq. If he was there, you know, like the to, to visit his grandmother, like oh, you know, my grandmother lives in Iraq. I just want to see her. So that's what. Then okay, I get it. Shame on us. Like we blew you up when you're going to visit your grandmother. But like, if you were there. Because um, you're supporting these these rebels, you're support you're coordinating attacks on U.S. installations and U.S. military members. Then yo, I'm taking your head, and mm. you want to feel some type of way? Like don't don't in, don't coordinate attacks on, on, on my troops. Mm-hmm. And I want to feel any type of way about it. Okay. Because I, I, I emphasize because if you if you recall in current events like uh, December twenty seventh. An American uh, American citizen lost their life, downrange, due to an attack that was allegedly linked to this uh, individual. And if you're still hanging around, you're still hanging around, and, and this is this is known to be true, and your main purpose for being in theater, in the combat theater, we're like, we're sending troops to. Yo, you're, you're a, a legal target, in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Or you're a uniformed soldier, like you're a legal combatant. In, in the rules of engagement, from my perspective. So as president, yeah, hellfire missiles. Okay, so let me just pose this small question. Say it's the he was visiting his grandma. Mm-hmm. How would you approach that then? Like overall, like what would you be doing right now? Snatch and grab at his grandma's place. Take him in a take him a lot. Well, the first thing is, I guess it's a bit difficult because he is a. Um, for instance, it's like, and I hate to flip the switch, but we do black ops, mm-hmm. right? America does black ops. It is what it is. But that's like someone whacking our secretary of defense. Because they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, you did black op, and you're in there, and then they whack our sec death. Like, um, of course, we're going to feel some type of way. We can't say, oh, he's doing black ops. Like, it it's it's difficult to say. Like, and you can't just take them either. Yeah. Oh. Uh, again, to answer your question, not having sound intelligence, all I have is what <laughs> Fox News and NBC is is feeding me. It's like there there could be a lot of gaps in intel. This yeah. is why I, I own intelligence. Or at least some investigative journalists would be helpful. But um, let's just say, to answer your question in a scenario that he was there to do terrorist attacks, coordinate oh. relief terrorist attacks, yeah, I think um, that that amount of force is uh, is appropriate. Okay. 
Let me bounce one at you. Alright. So, I guess really just want your opinion because I haven't found any sources for this, request, for this okay. question. What was Soleimani doing in Iraq? Was he supporting, directing the recent attacks in U.S. installations? Or, as I mentioned, was he, was he visiting his grandmother, a family member? Was it, was it a... Uh, you think it was... He was there for pleasure? Like, well, what do you think he was doing there? Because that really determines, like, mm-hmm. how, um, you know, this is really going to be perceived. This is the thing. And, like, as Secretary of State, Chief of Staff, we definitely have been all over this. Like, we'd have been already talking to the Supreme Ayatollah. I think mm-hmm. that's how he said. We'd have been on the phone, like, instantly. Now, you're talking about prior, like, when would we be on the phone? Like at the embassy or when we had that, when they did the rocket attack on December 20, 27th? Yeah, probably around that time. We already started that dialogue. Listen, hey, um, especially we got intel he was in that area. He might want to leave because we're about to, you know, and it, it's tricky how you do that because you can't telegraph your the element of surprise. Exactly. You lose that when you say, hey, get your guy out of here because you've got to blow some stuff up. Yeah. Um, it is very tricky because it's a lot of things intertwined with this. Number one, and you know how I am about this foreign policy. We're about to get into it. Let's go ahead and rip the band-aid off. Yo, so, what? We are occupying a sovereign nation in the first place. Let's go ahead and just be clear about this. This is not American soil in the first place. Are you referring to Iraq? Yes. So let's pause that. Let's pause because you're calling them a sovereign nation, but it's like, do you think have the stability? Okay, granted, while Saddam Hussein was in power, was alive and in power, it was stable. And I mean, they weren't the best nation, but they had schools, infrastructure, all that good stuff. But Mm -hmm. after his removal, do you think they can function? like uh to the same degree well i mean we caused all that let's be honest war does that yeah you're right we destabilize iraq let's just keep it all the way 100 so then uh mike uh, let me just simplify my question okay is our is our current occupation is it necessary yes and no no because we accomplished the mission. The mission was to get Saddam Hussein out of power. Right. So, yes, you know, like, um, yes, we accomplished that goal. No, we've been there, and what are we doing now? What are we really doing there now? That's been, what, 2004 is when they got him, if I remember correctly? When they got Saddam Hussein, something about it. I think it's 2004. So we've been there for what, 15 years, something crazy like that going on 16 years? For what? Now you got this, knowing that Iraq and Iran are rivals, like fierce, you know, rivals or whatever, can't stand each other, enemies. Now you got this guy who is very high powered in the Iran military political structure. Yep. Get taken out. In Iraq, which is enemy territory, but to be fair, he could have been playing both sides. So, 
I look at it as a combination of he probably was visiting his grandmother, but he I'm not saying you can't do a business trip while you're visiting family. We yeah, do it all the time. Business and pleasure. Exactly. So it could be fair to say he was doing both. Can we prove it? Only Intel um, will Hold on. Now, here's what the the Intel suggestion. He okay. was with the militia leaders when he got killed. Okay. He was with them. Yeah. So it's like, um. I mean, that's fair play. These guys coordinating the attack. It's yeah. like, okay. And then I hate to use Bin Laden as, a, as an example, but like, it's like Bin Laden doesn't an attack. And then another terrorist group leader, he's like, he's hanging out with them. And like, they get blown up. You're, I don't want to say you're guilty by association, but like, mm. he was, he was with these guys. They were in his convoy. So it's, it's difficult to say. But well, again, actually, the, I think the intelligence community, community was cool with him, actually, believe it or not. Really? Yes. The intel community was, was cool with Soleimani? What is that saying? The enemy of my friend is my friend or something like that? Yeah. He's closer than your friends, basically. So let me I'm gonna just read this. This guy was this guy was giving us problems since twenty uh two thousand and and three. But you can also say the same about Osama bin Laden. But look at we did business with with him for how long? That was that was a long time ago. My understanding is we trained him to fight the Russians and uh, in Afghanistan. Like we gave him the Stinger rockets, missiles, what have you. And then we tr we trained him to use our proxy war. Where the disconnect and where they fell out is hard to say. Saddam Hussein, he was in Lackland Air Force Base. Like we trained him as well. So it's, um, seems to be a reoccurring theme. I'm seeing a connection there, um, but this is an interesting passage. I'm looking at uh, independent news site Democracy Now. I prefer their information because they're not corporate, so okay. to speak. Both presidents, Obama and George Bush, George W. Bush, uh, have rejected the idea of killing Soleimani out of fears it would lead to an outright war between the U.S. and Iran. Okay, I've heard that theory. But it's not necessarily saying like, yo, we cool with him. It's they're tolerating him because, and and I did I stumbled upon that in my research as well. That okay. the risk of killing him would could be greater than the risk of uh, leaving him alive. And I've heard that underneath the Obama administration. It's just really messy. Foreign policy is complex, and geopolitics is, is very complex. But I think it's um. It really stems from decades of uncooperation with uh, with, the, with the Middle East. It's like we've kissed Israel's ass for a, a long time, and it's we but we've neglected a lot of uh, people in, in in the Middle East. And we need to, if anything, you mentioned before, like we would have dialogue with. Uh, with well, I would say dialogue with actionable items. Cause now, what do you mean by actionable items? Refer to what episode um, twenty something when we talked about Iran, what we would do. I don't know the exact episode number, but basically that whole podcast we talked about how to fix our relations with Iran. Okay, I remember that one. So basically, economically, 
infrastructure, tourism, like these are the things you would have to incorporate and come to an agreement with Iran and let them run their country as a sovereign nation and not like a step kid, you know, or orphan or something like that. Like, yo. I do recall one of your agreements was to permit them to become a nuclear state. Yes. Still hold that. Uh, Do you still believe that today? Yeah. Even though they're chanting, death to America, death to America. You still believe that today? Hold on. Let's go ahead and address that. So the Ayatollah said death to America, but the leadership of America, although I do not agree with, obviously, them killing our cabinet and our president and all this, he was very concise on who he was talking to, and he made a clear. Yeah, but if he kills our leadership via dirty bomb or nuclear okay. warhead, he's like, "Yeah, death to America!" Like I took out the president and half the freaking East Coast. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't my intention to take out the East Coast. I just wanted your president, so I'm not buying that. I'm not buying uh, that. Your what? only your only target is is that you want to hit the administration and our leadership. No, I get I get what you're saying that far, but think about that. They know the implications of doing that. So obviously they gotta use other methods of warfare. Obviously. They're not gonna do it head on. They right, know what better think? than that. What do you think is, is within their scope? No pun intended. They would they would have to use cyber warfare, propaganda. Mm. Uh you're gonna have to use black ops. You're gonna have to use proxy That's wars. Terrorism. So you're talking about black ops against military targets, or we're talking about soft targets like Mm -hmm. civilians and uh, and you know just non-military, non-combative targets. And I I feel like I want to further interject. They have a history of state-sponsored terrorism. Mm -hmm. They have strong links to Hezbollah, Mm -hmm. and um, I just can't take you at face value when you're saying like, yo. I know we're saying death to America. That's the chant, but it mm-hmm. only pertains to, uh, to. I'm not. I'm not buying that. I'm but not. you can also you can also say the same about Saudi Arabia. Okay. We violation rights. We they do a bunch of dirty stuff. They do. Oh, state they're, on, they're on the list of uh, things. Terrorism. Things to fix. They're they on the list. The but right now, it's my my mind concerns is is um my main concern. Mm-hmm is that it seems the threat level in america has has went up mm-hmm. like um, yeah it's going to heighten security measures now because mm-hmm. of threats that are being made abroad mm-hmm. and i get it i get it we just whacked a uh a unit it's not just a terrorist leader like it's not when you know when terrorists get taken out it's just like whatever no you just splat another fly on the wall even if it's, it's if it's a top dog no one wants no country really wants to say like oh you killed you killed one of our our favorite terrorists but when you when you you take out a a uniformed a high-ranking uniformed uh military leader who's who's held as a a a hero in that country it's it's a bit different so i don't know like he's got to say something but i don't think that's appropriate well you gotta think and this is what it goes back to foreign policy and dialogue. If we would talk to them and actually sit down and discuss things with them, mm-hmm. and you also know you've been in the Middle East, their culture is very different from our culture. It is. But in some ways, it's very similar. Two things that I've learned in the Middle East is respect and giving people, um, 
I had it. It's two things that always stuck with me when being in the Middle East. The biggest thing is, I would say, respect in their culture, right? Those two things stick with me. So, now, since what we've been. What do you mean by their culture? Because well, Saudi, just... Saudi Arabia could easily say, hey, like, chopping off people's hands for theft in broad day in the downtown square, that's just part of our culture. Like, yeah, I know it's a slippery slope, but think about our culture. Like, everybody don't agree with our culture, what we do. Yeah, that's true. So that I'm just looking at from that, you got to flip it around and say, well, listen, we might not agree with the human rights conditions that Saudi Arabia provides, but we sure do sell them weapons to them. We, we do. Sort of use their country for with installations, military installations, to go and attack Iran, possibly. So... And then you got to also look at the history of our relations with Iran. We froze them out for pretty much our whole lifespan, economically, tourism-wise. Like, all this stuff, we've been freezing them out forever. Just like we do Russia, we're going to have another podcast about it. Again, that. but it's like, it's one thing when you harbor terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like uh, all countries do that, we do business with. No, look, it's like it's one thing if you're you're harboring terrorists. Like, uh-huh. um, you know that Osama bin Laden is in your country, but you're not taking efforts to uh, to pursue or capture or kill him. It's one thing to do that, mm-hmm. but it's another thing to take state funds, state mm-hmm. money, and give it to terrorists and tell them to go blow shit up. Like, mm-hmm. and my understanding, this is something that. Iran has done time and again. And because of this, it, it kind of takes negotiations. I don't want to say off the table, but it's um, it's not like you, you, you blow up the USS Cole. Okay, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. You do another attack. Hey, you still want to talk? That's like, nah. It's, um, you got to be more stern, and, and I get it. Well, let, let's put it to you this way. Okay. Best case scenario. We take the White House, 2020, mm-hmm. hindsight and all of this, all these attacks and all that. Would you sit down? Would we, you mm-hmm. know, you, my chief of staff and bring you along? Do you think we should sit down with the Ayatollah and say, hey, like, um, let's talk? Over yeah. Some, some stones and some... Yeah, stuff. absolutely. Do it publicly. That's one thing I admire oh, about Tulsi yeah. Gabbard. Like, bring it on the podcast. Yeah, like, that's one thing I like about Tulsi Gabbard. She might not be popular... Overall, but she had the guts to go sit down with our enemies and talk to them, see what's going on. That's a big problem. We'll talk all this trash from America, but don't go sit down face to face like men or women, depending on who's in charge, and talk about the issues and actually listen to the concerns of the um, Iranian people. I know people are going to think I'm a sympathizer and all this. I don't care what you think. I'm just keeping it honest. Being a global citizen, somebody who has traveled, who's been in these regions, we know kind of how these people think. They're not that much different from us, to be honest. I always compare this to people that'll be like, yeah, we should bomb the hell out of them and da-da-da-da. Like, understand, if somebody has been occupying the region of America, let's give Mm -hmm. an example like Russia. They've been occupying, say, North Dakota and all these areas for years. Don't you think we're going to get tired of them doing that? Number one, America's not going to let them do that in the first place. Absolutely. But, but you here's the thing. Understand. I think 
you see the bigger picture, but I think in this particular instance, we're overlooking it. Okay. At the end of the day, it's not about Iran, Iraq, Syria. We just need somewhere to point our weapons, to point our guns, to direct our Mm -hmm. war machine. That's costing what? Would you say $6.5 trillion? That's That's all we need. So it's like... My question for you is, and I think I yeah. asked you, th- you this outside of the podcast, you sent me an awesome link about, um, you know, America at war and how, how we profit off of that. But that's the issue. It's, it's not about all these. It's, it's at the fact that there's money to be made off conflicts. True. So how do you take that out of a, uh, and uh, this is not on the agenda, but like, maybe no, it's only a rhetorical it. question. Like, how do you take that out of, uh, how do you stop that? Dwight D. Eisenhower couldn't do it. Yeah, um, he warned it was going to happen. I, you can't stop it. It's a tricky thing. I could say you can. It's tough. It's it's really tough because you build more bridges with peace. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need bombs to blow them bridges up too. Like I'm gonna be honest about it. So, but again, it's like. You, you have to take into consideration mm-hmm. that war to some extent has been the bread and butter of America. Yes. Um, it, and then it's just to go to quit it cold turkey. It's like, what do you, what do, you do? But and I know we kind of deviated from that and I got some questions. We'll have to do yeah. another uh, episode on that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, I, I guess I did ask you how they would retaliate, and you said some black ops and, you know, other forms of terrorism, cyber yeah. terrorism. And let me ask you this third question. Okay. And I, I think we already went over this, like the whole uh, Supreme Leader Ayatollah claims death to America is directed towards U.S. leadership and not to the people. And my question was, like, do you believe him? And we kind of addressed that. So the follow-up question would be, how do you think the American people are sitting with this uh, this conflict or potential conflict. Like, Great question. Great question. I think it depends on your demographic. Let's mm. be honest. Our nation is very polarized by race and culture. Yes, indeed. And Even more so now. So I'm gonna throw that. Well, race, culture, religion, and politics. Those are probably the hot button polarizing issues of all Americans. So. I think I'm gonna just break it down by demographics. I think if you're an immigrant mm-hmm. or if you're black American, yeah, you look at this differently than a white American or a white immigrant. This is just my perspective on this. Now, can think, you uh, can you expand upon the differences? So, I think think about this. One of the biggest groups. Um, one of the biggest languages that people don't talk about is spoken in the U.S. is German, believe it or not. Um, I can see Dutch. Yeah. It's Franken-Bischen Deutsch. Um, <laughs> nah, but let's keep it honest. Like, what I've noticed online, Twitter and, like, IG and stuff, <laughs> like, I, I'll use Black American since I'm a Black American. We look at it as like, we don't go mess with people in the Middle East and all these foreign countries. We don't go and start conflicts. Mm. The people in power usually are white male Americans or 
white male immigrants, maybe by lineage. So maybe they grew up here generationally wise, but they're mm -hmm. from Ukraine or something. Just throwing out examples or Polish okay. or something. We look at this whole situation. I can think I think we can kind of speak for black Americans and maybe black immigrants like, yo, we didn't start anything with Iran. That is the power structure of America. Granted, we are Americans. We live here. This is our country, too. But when it comes to certain things, I've noticed when it comes to this war three, now mm -hmm. America want to be friendly to everybody that's here. Let's so keep on it. So now when we all Americans now, but every day to day, oh yeah, we'll shoot. Isn't that what they say about common enemies bring the people together? Yeah. Um, I think if you're white American, I think it depends on what region you live in. So I would say if you're a small town white American, you mm -hmm. probably bomb Iran. I'm not speaking for every white American in rural areas, the Great Plains, maybe Pacific Northwest, some some people there. I would say most of them are probably more liberal, but you do have a conservative side over there. I can see that. Um, I would say maybe Latin American immigrants look at this differently because you gotta think of their continent. It's been heavily influenced by US imperialism Indeed. with their own wars and stuff. Central America is gonna look at this differently. Um, Africans would look at this differently because of what their continent has gone through. Um, you can say the same in maybe Southeast Asia, Japan, uh, Korea. They're going to probably look at this a lot differently than I would say white Americans or white immigrants. This is just my opinion. I could be wrong. No, I mean, yeah, that's all we can do is speculate. But, so um, it, it seems to be that there are there are some core nations mm -hmm. that like um, they will ride with us no matter what. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, pff, Intel's flaky. There may or may not be some uh, yellow cake uranium. Yeah, we'll ride with you. We'll get a piece of that action. We'll get a piece of that war. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, uh, there, there seems to be that. Like, and I don't know. But I, I think um, we, we took the action, mm -hmm. but I don't think... Now, has there been talk of bombing Iran? Because I don't think that's necessary. No. I, I really uh, don't. I think it's just like, yo, like, declare to the world, like, if you attack our installations, we're going to take out the, the leaders who did that. If you feel you want to retaliate, then guess what? We'll keep doing that until you stop. Yeah, but, um, I, I'll answer your overall question, like, the short version. I went kind of like the scenic route. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's mixed. I think it's regional and depending on your political ideals, your ideology. Like, what do you think politically is going to determine how you feel about this situation? I think if you don't travel, you're going to feel different than somebody that's been to like several countries outside the U.S., excluding North America, Central America, stuff like like actually been out there and seen some stuff. I think you're you would look at it differently. I think if you're a military veteran or has a family member and you've seen firsthand what they've gone through, you're going to look at this totally different. So that's the that's the short version of like, answer. I, I like that. I like that answer, and I think it's um. Everyone is taking this troop surge as like a declaration of war, and it's not a declaration of war. We're just sending troops to somewhere that we already are. Like we already Basically. have troops in Iraq. 
So it's another thing like when troops start going to uh, Tyran. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't think we've ever did that. Like, mm-hmm. here's the thing. I know there were some there were some skirmishes just because the the border of Iran and Iraq is kind of fuzzy and sometimes our patrols like veer out onto there. But like we have correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Like have we I don't think we ever we haven't sent troops to like Iran. Nah. Did our Delta Force go into I mean <laughs> That Come whole embassy, on. when they took over the the embassy or Hezbollah or some shit like oh, that. Oh, you talking about seventy nine? Yeah, I think like um. That's probably only time. Maybe. No, I, I think, think this is like the force, like our real clandestine special operations unit, went into uh. Who negotiated the release of the hostages? I thought it was like Jesse Jackson or somebody. It was somebody. Hmm. They actually negotiate. We have to look that up. Um, I asked you a question. Um, what would war look like if it really happened with Iran what do you think it would actually look like um so here's the thing I've considered this as well and shout out to the infographics yeah I like that channel um, awesome video on it they compared their military might and next to ours here's the thing we dominate militarily like we've been doing this since what 1940s perpetual warfare like we've mastered this war machine so it's like yeah iran has some they got aircraft they got tanks they got things of that nature they have uh these nasty uh aquatic mines that they can use to uh you know put in um their their up their their regions the areas of water that they control but like that's i don't want to say it would be short work considering uh our military upgrades our advanced weaponry, things of that nature. What sucks is the insurgency. It's like after you take out the, um, you know, the sitting government, you mm-hmm. have rebels. Same would be the case if uh, anyone invaded in America. Mm-hmm. And um, the insurgency is what would suck. Mm-hmm. Let's Google real quick the population of Iran compared to Iraq. Because I got a piece of Iraq. And I didn't deal with the conventional forces. I dealt mm. with insurgency. And the thing that sucks with insurgency, just like Vietnam, is you can't yeah. the enemy from the from the civilians. Yeah. And it's like because of that, they have a uh, a, a a great advantage over us. Um, Absolutely. That element of surprise, and they have you on edge. That anxiety, and it's. It's guerrilla warfare, and it's nasty. And I think that can be more often. It can be more worse than uh, more worse. That was grammatically incorrect. It can be worse than conventional war. So I want to just um, Google population of Iran. Okay. Well, let's, hold on. Pop. Oops. Population of Iraq. So the no, population it's not Iran. of Iraq. Oh, no, hold on. The pop- yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's still recording while I was talking. Population of Iraq. So it's 38 million. 38 million people in, in Iraq. And so that's they, put up, they put up a, 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 a relentless insurgency when we, uh, after we invaded and then we took down Saddam Hussein, the insurgency was relentless. It spawned militias and, and terrorist organizations that have been giving us hell to this day 
So gotcha. now keep that in mind. Thirty-eight million, right? Okay. Let's type in of Iran. The population of Iran is eighty-one million. Mm. Almost three times as as large as uh. Well, not yeah. right. it's 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 bigger it's, than uh, it's, almost it's double the the size of Iraq. So to answer your question, the war, I can see it. Again, we train for this. We're built for this. Like this is what we do. Air superiority, ground superiority, ground and pound. Like this is what we do. It's the insurgencies, counterinsurgencies, is what we need work on. Even though we have decades of mm-hmm. dealing with it, it's just to some extent it's like an equalizer. Mm-hmm. It's, you're like, ha ha ha! I have my F-35 Raptors and all this stealth bullshit yeah. and, and and advanced weapons, but it's like. What are Sherman tanks going to do in a city? Like, you're just going to run everybody over? Like, at one point in time, I do believe the Mark 19, that's an automatic grenade launcher, shoots 40 millimeter grenade, high velocity grenades. That was banned in Iraq Mm -hmm. because collateral damage was so intense. Like, yeah, I think it's kind of like a 203, but it's rapid fire automatic. So you're just like, toom, 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 toom. And then it's just like, oops, I missed my target and I took out a mosque. Like, so we got to translate this for people that weren't in the military. So I guess uh, example would be like looking at if you've seen the old Predator movies, like with Arnold and Rambo, they kind of yeah, you kind of seen them use these big weapons like grenade launchers. This is what we're basically talking about. Yeah, just to give you kind of an idea. I'm, I'm bringing that up to say that it's like you have limitations mm-hmm. in, uh, in urban warfare and counterinsurgency. Mm-hmm. You are to indeed take collateral damage into consideration. And that's why I said it's, counterinsurgency is tough. It's an equalizer. So the war, if, if it, it were to come to that, mm-hmm. and I don't want to underestimate Iran. I they have some, they got years of experience too. And then mm-hmm. factor in uh, hacking and everything of that nature, black ops and, and the use of dirty bombs. I don't want to say they're desperate, but they're not. I don't see Iran going out like no uh, no punks. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a couple of things. Explain okay. to people, layman's terms. We're working on this, guys. We're trying to <laughs> make it a little more digestible. Darn military of- jargon. Yeah. Explain kind of what counterinsurgency is and insurgency um to layman's term like to layman's people okay know? so let me break it down to you to all our listeners out there insurgency if paratroopers from any nation let's say china russia they start coming out of the sky and they want to take over america you me all my veterans buddies we're gonna grab our guns and we're gonna give them help and we would put up the most ruthless insurgency the world has ever seen. That's an insurgency. When you're talking about civilians, everyday people, people who have, may have been in the military before, they're currently not in the military, they're grabbing their weapons to defend their country. You, I guess you could rationalize it because we're, like, we're here in America and we, we, we're imagining a foreign, mm-hmm. a foreign invading force. And yeah, we would fight back. The same applies to other countries. They're like, yeah, our country fell. America's here now. And like, we not with that. This is just what people do. Now, counterinsurgency is how you deal with that. It's how a trained, organized military force Mm 
deals with uh, these civilians who have come to arms to use uh, any amount of force, guerrilla tactics, guerrilla warfare to end uh, the occupation. And this was common in Vietnam and we struggled with it. We were like, we tried to use all our might and our, 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 our air power. We're like, oh, we're just going to bomb the shit out of the jungle on, and we'll kill Charlie. Charlie meaning contact, but also contact meaning like the Viet Cong. And it was like, we actually aided them by burning the jungles down. Cool. We cleared paths. Now they can move supplies easier. They had underground tunnels and it was hard. It, mm-hmm. it, it was hard. Uh, it's a difficult war. The, the fight you, you really don't know your your enemies and then it's like you they say to win in an insur- a counterinsurgency you need to win the hearts and minds of the of the people but if you're going around <laughs> it's like you blew the country to hell and then it's like hey guys trust us we're the good guys like it's it's difficult to do but uh, to answer your question war is War is war. It's always hell, but the insurgencies are... are that's the hangover of the war. Okay, say. I was going to break down uh, guerrilla tactics, and you might have heard us saying uh, urban warfare. Basically, mm-hmm. to explain to everybody layman's term, this is like fighting in, for example, downtown Orlando. If an mm-hmm. insurgency, what he explained... Um, well... I guess we would be the insurgency if a foreign organized military invaded us. So urban warfare is basically what it suggests or guerrilla tactics or basically surprise attacks. Anytime, yes. no rules, any method possible to harm the enemy. That's- These are the, the type of tactics that our founding fathers used against the British. They were outnumbered against a organized military, you know, to have more firepower. So you can't just fight how they fight. You got to snipe them. You, you got to, you know, set things on fire. It's run, shoot and run, in and out, harassment, things yeah. of that nature. But it's it's nothing, it's nothing nice, man. Yeah. And then urban warfare is just basically fighting in the city. So that would be like fighting battles downtown Orlando, for example. And as rules of engagement, meaning the rules for the current war you're fighting, you have to take in the civilian population you have to yes. take that into consideration and that's why urban warfare is it's, it's messy it's difficult absolutely but, uh, <laughs> you got another one for me because i got one more for you okay um let's see what does this event show about our foreign policy in the middle east well it kind of shows the, the lack thereof <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, you and the jokes today. <laughs> no, I, was, I was actually being quite quite frank and quite serious. It's no, a, think... Deadly force should be a last option. It's like, yes, we have this mighty military, but we should only flex it on, on the last resort. And again, mm-hmm. you mentioned before, we need more dialogue with, uh, with, with our Middle Eastern global, with the Middle Eastern global community. Like, we can't, we can't do this forever. We can't f- keep fighting out there forever, you know. And it's we, it's in everyone's interest because we we can yeah we can keep winning these little skirmishes, but people bear grudges and they they're not gonna forget. And it's only a matter of time. We can keep increasing our security measures, but it's only a matter of time before a, a more catastrophic attack happens on American soil 
because mm-hmm. of all these uh, harbored uh, aggressions against our failed foreign policy. Gotcha. What you got for me? Um, I just want to throw one more question at you. So when you consider the ridiculous circumstances that triggered World War One, i.e. the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could this potentially warp into World War Three? Because that's what the memes and everything that's circling around the the internet is is suggesting that this could somehow warp into World War Three. What are your thoughts? Um. No, and it goes back to what you said earlier. We would make short work of them conventionally, mm-hmm. but the insurgency and the power vacuum, meaning. The lack of organized structure in the country is what I'm meaning for layman's terms for people that don't know. Power vacuum, if you hear that term, is basically saying, hey, you killed everybody organized in government that keep their country in check, like keep it organized and stable. So once you kill them, it's anarchy, meaning all chaos, every man for themselves, every group for themselves. So So, I'm going to ask you another question, though. And mm-hmm. I think we did discuss this on our Iran episode. Who's Iran cool with? Are they cool with Russia? Uh, probably yeah, and because I'm sure they use China. I'm, huh? How are their relations with China? I'm sure they're friendly with those two because they have to buy military stuff, uh, equipment. Those are those are the ones. I would have little concern with the direct conflict with Iran. But once you start bringing in those other bigger players, then I'm like, spider senses tingling. Like, because that's a bit of a concern when you're bringing in bigger players, whether it's a proxy war or they're sending troops or equipment. So, sorry if y'all get annoyed, but we're trying to explain (laughs) something, make stuff more digestible. So, explain what a proxy war is to people. But my understanding, a proxy war is like another nation, like, take the United States, for instance. We indirectly fought Russia by fighting, uh, by supporting troops in Afghanistan. We mentioned Osama bin Laden, mm-hmm. like how we trained Osama bin Laden. We funded him and gave him uh, Stinger rockets, Stinger missiles, surface air missiles, so they could shoot down Soviet helicopters. That's a proxy war. My understanding they did the same thing in Vietnam by funding the Viet Cong, supplying them all that good stuff, and mm-hmm. we, fought the, we fought the Vietnamese. But yeah. um, they're indirect, I suppose you could say indirect battles, indirect wars. Yeah. How, would def- how would you define it? Um, Proxy war. It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a like a video game analogy or something. Like, um, I, I had a good one in my head. I think you explained it pretty clear. I can't, it won't sound right if it comes out right now. I had a good example, but it's not going to come out right. So I get the exact definition define proxy oh, okay that's cool i was gonna ask you another question this can be for both of us how do you okay. think one moment hold on so a proxy war a war instigated by a major power which does not itself become involved so it as i mentioned like we're not directly involved we weren't directly involved in fighting the soviets in afghanistan but we kind of i don't want to say we started it but we we instigated it but i'm sorry what was your what was your question? I got a couple <clears throat> questions. We can both answer these. Okay. Um, I'll let you go first. So how do you think Israel feels, one of our biggest allies, one of our allies that we fund right now, mm-hmm. knowing all these events going on? And how do 
I um, Iranian citizens in Iran, how do you think they feel if you were to talk to them? And how do you feel about Iranian Americans, how they feel about this situation? Oh, wow. That's a lot of questions. Give me the first one again. How okay. Is how do you think, I, I'm going to start with home, <laughs> Upgrade America. So how do you think Iranian American citizens feel about this right now? Mm, well, again, you can't assume that all Iranian citizens feel the same. Yeah. But um, I'm sure they, they, they perhaps uh, some sense of concerns. Like, they know this is what we do. And the war machine has not been directly pointed at Iran. And if you know you have friends, family who are still back home, that is concern. You know, like, we turn countries to rubble. And if there's taking the, the president's stand on uh, immigration, particularly on Muslim countries, their family members may not be able to come over here, you know? So uh, I, I see that having uh, some concerns, a bit of anxiety. And what about, I would say, everyday life for them? What do you think that's like right now? In Iran? No, no, here in America, real quick. Um. How do you think they feel like moving through everyday life now that this is highlighted on their own like 9-11, like again i could see them having some anxiety because after 9 11 people were very anti-muslim and um i think we cooled down from that a bit but it was really bad particularly in detroit i know there's a lot of vandalism of a mosque and things of that nature but it's like i could see them having that feeling again like oh man like the whole world's uh, you know is, is gonna be be hating on us I'm, I'm not too sure okay and then now i'm gonna ask this other question and then i'll give my responses as well um how do you think iranian people feel in iran mm. as i mentioned uh soleimani was like a a national hero so mm -hmm. like they are protesting they are angry they are screaming death to america and um while the ayatollah may have assured us that death to America only pertains to our leadership, the people. And while Iran has, you know, they, they may not have control over Hezbollah. They may not have control over these other organizations that may be formed or may form just because of Soleimani's death. And they may take animosity towards uh, America. How are they feeling? I can only say off of uh, what I'm seeing on the news, like people are pissed. I mean, I wish, I wish we could talk to them directly somehow, like average American, uh, average Iranian citizens, like to talk well, to them directly. The world is getting smaller. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty sure we could find uh, some sort of outlet to reach someone and get them on the Upgrade America podcast. That would be I a mean, no, I'm serious. It's uh, I don't know what outlet to do, but it's something that they're taking into consideration to get that aspect. And did I have a third question? I felt like I did. Those are two I would ask for sure. I had a third one I can't remember now. Do you they remember? Said, um, Israel. Yeah. How do How do you think Israel feels about? Because they're in that region, so you already know. Like America's like, hey, buddy, y'all get ready. And, <laughs> and again, my mind is a bit foggy. Uh -huh. I'm a bit foggy on on our Iran discussion. But you said Israel is more cooler with Iran than they are with whom? Or was it another nation? Because remember we said we we're going to 
broker this deal or, or have this meeting between Israel and someone else. But I thought we said Iran was going to step in because. I know. Oh, yeah. They got, we got proxy people for Iran and Iraq. I think it was no or proxies that speak on behalf of both countries or something to that effect. It was like Switzerland and like India or something like that, if okay. I remember correctly. Um, but how, is, how are Israel's and Iran's relations? I are think it's kind of tense. I don't know. I would assume it's kind of tense because, you know, Israel's kind of... Does Israel have any, uh, we say, Arab friends? All right, I'm going to look. Allies, and I'm going to look this up real quick. Okay. Um, but are they cool with Saudi, at least? Like, I don't know. They're cool with Saudi Arabia, UAE, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, and Oman. Interesting. So they're against basically Iran. I see. So then, uh, yeah, there's no way they're gonna have a, a peaceful conversation. So I mean, I could, I, I don't know, I could see Israel like getting off on this, like. Yeah, because they're very similar to us. They're always ready for war too. They so. are. I mean, they kind of need to be. Yeah. I. I but um, we, we we touched on that a bit before, mm-hmm. but again, it I, I I would say it's in everybody's interest to have peace in the Middle East. But then <laughs> it's not. There's six point five trillion dollars riding on the line, so it's not in everybody's interest. So but, I uh, how Israel feels, I don't know. How do you think? Um, I get my perspective real quick. Um, I think they they feel conflicted. Number one, they're obligated to do something if we tap them on the shoulder and say, you know what time it is, right? Based on our military aid that we get, well, billions of dollars we give them every year, we, which we covered in one of our mm-hmm. other episodes. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure they don't necessarily want to get into it. Because I remember, didn't we share an infographics episode where Iran and Israel are very comparatively similar, military-size-wise? Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much the same. Except, I think Iran had a for that uh how you say the obscurity of Israel's nuclear arsenal. Absolutely. But they have access to being uh Are you saying Iran has access to what? No. Doesn't uh Israel allegedly have access to nuclear weapons? And that's what I'm saying. It's of uh, it's obscure. It's Absolutely. not very they don't confirm or deny the presence of nuclear yeah. weapons, but so did um so did we when we were in Italy. And even though yeah. everyone knew, we wouldn't say. Well, like, that's a, that's a big on the scale. That's a big tipping yeah. factor on, on the scale. Like, you have nukes, they, they don't. But geographically, where is Israel from Iran? Um, look that up, and I'll give my perspective on the other two questions. For Iranian... Because here's the thing, and I, I know okay. I wanted to circle back to the question I asked you about the whole World War Three. Oh yeah. But yeah. It's like, World War One was ridiculous. It was like, it it happened just similar like this. There was an assassination, and everyone got drawn into it. Yes. But if Israel is close to the conflict, and then the conflict bleeds into Israel, I don't I don't know. But that's how these things get spun out of proportion. So I want to look that up. Israel map. I'm looking at the same thing. I think I'll go to images. 
Alright, let me see. So. Yeah, it's loading pretty slow. Mm. Iran? What is Iran? It's a... Oh, okay. It's a distance. Iraq and Jordan. Yeah, I'm seeing that too. I see it. They're near Syria. No, Bogan. Okay. Yeah, so they're near uh, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. So where on earth is um? I'm seeing the Mediterranean Sea. I'm not seeing it in perspective to Iran. So I suppose that's not a concern, but yeah, yeah, it's buffered between Iraq, Syria, and like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, or like a buffer to Iran from Israel. Interesting. I wanna... That's in, in, in the way. Yeah, that's kind. Of, I'm glad we looked up the geography because we we're kind of off on that one. So sorry about that. <laughs> we kind of jacked up. Because I know uh, Iraq touches. I know Iraq touches Iran. Yeah, Iraq touches like everybody: Syria, yeah. Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Turkey, Armenia, sorta, Iran. So You're yeah, right. It does touch Turkey. Mm-hmm. Like and that's interesting too. Um, I answer the questions real quick. I don't okay. know how much time we are at now as far as my audio recording. But like, um probably long overdue. We're like an hour and nineteen minutes. Let me <laughs> Yeah, let me see where the audio is right now. Um uh, Oh yeah, it's done. So it's all right. So it's <laughs> up to <laughs> so yeah, yeah that, this is a very interesting discussion. We had a lot to talk about, but go ahead, uh, man, I want to hear your answers. So the Iranian Americans, I'm very curious. I'm I follow a couple. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna kinda see if I can see what they've been posting and ask them if they respond to DMs. You know how that goes. Um but yeah, I I kinda agree with you on your sentiments. They're probably a lot of anxiety right now because and you gotta also remember this administration has been pretty much pretty xenophobic and anti-immigrant in any way so to add this define xenophobic or xenophobia basically a fear of other people other cultures mm. basically like short version um uh so and i find that always a a conflict in america we're a we're a, a country of stolen people black mm -hmm. americans Indeed. A country of immigrants, everybody else, basically. Yet we harbor this putrid like racism, like fear of all the but we got every culture in the world here in the United States. I just find that mind boggling a lot of the it time. Is a bit ironic. Yeah, I don't know. But um and then as far as I would really like to talk to the Iranian people that's on the ground at home. What is their home life like? I would like now? to that too. Um, because I think they're kind of limited to the outside world to the degree. They got to use like all the kind of other methods to get outside information. You got to remember like that regime is pretty con state controlled if I remember correctly. As far as like internet, and not saying they can't look at it, but they gotta find like secret ways to probably access information. So, what are your thoughts on that? <sighs> like, can we stage a coup, a coup d'état, like, and then 
Should I put that on uh, my CIA director's list of uh, to do list, or should we let that continue? Believe it or not, I think the most. You know, I was talking about hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. I actually think, ah oh, man, I think it was a South Park episode. One of these episodes. Um, uh, something I watched. They just dropped self smartphones in the country. You read my mind because I was getting ready to say like I want to drop some iPhones in North Korea. With exactly. Upgrade America mobile app. <laughs> 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 but I think that's honestly I think that's like unblocks internet access like we have like pretty much see everything. Mm -hmm. I think if you did that, it would unlock the hearts and minds a lot quicker than other methods i think so too and now you ra you raise an interesting point because we mentioned we want to try to make contact with someone on the ground there but mm -hmm. if there's, there's all these constraints over internet and, and things like that it may be a bit difficult but i don't where there's a will there's a way i want to give it a shot i'm but curious that? um that was pretty much it from my end um, i don't know uh everyone out there like yeah, this is just the cycle of the nation as we, we go to conflict and, and we do this. Mm -hmm. um, could it lead to World War Three? Who could say? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't buy into the fear, but at the same time, you should be living your life every day as if, um, I don't know, some jerk-off terrorist is going to blow up the world the next day. So endure it. Not endure it. Enjoy it. And, uh, you know, keep supporting the podcast. Upgrade America. <laughs> Appreciate you hanging out. You got any closing remarks? Um, I was looking up something real quick. Oh, okay, okay. I was looking up. I forgot who. Okay, interesting fact. Um, okay. What are you researching? The U.S. has been at war since its inception. Mm -hmm. Out of 200 and roughly, you got to add like almost three years now. Out of 242 years-ish, we've been in war. We've been at war for 222 years out of that 200 and roughly 42 years mm -hmm. of our country. So we've only had like what eight years eight to ten years of peace the whole time we've been a country hmm. just right. put that in perspective that's my final thoughts it shows one that we have the experience and two it's um i don't want to say it seems to be a necessity but um we've come to terms with it and we've accepted that like mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do and again i asked you earlier on in the podcast how do you change that there's too much money to be made for for it to, to, to change. And here's the thing. Even if we did, just to just say like, yeah, we're going to turn uh, turn over a new leaf. No more uh, aggressive proxy wars and, and military global military conflict for the United States, right? What did you say before? Power vacuum. We pull out, someone else becomes militarily superior either uh chinese or russia and it's like yeah america does some shady stuff but do you really want these imperial uh these blatant imperial nations uh having military superiority we 
to answer the short version, to answer this real quick, we are so paranoid and hell-bent on staying on top. I don't think that's ever going to happen, no matter who's in office. Mm. Like, yeah. I'm just saying the empire can't fall. All of them do. But I would say more likely we would implode more than fall. Implode. Now, what is your... Uh, what is... How would you describe an implosion? Like, what do you mean? Like, factions? No. Yeah, like, I America, think it would taking come... it, America taking itself apart? Like, what is, what is yes. implosion? Um, I think it would come down to American people getting tired of being in war and tired of getting screwed up and be like, all right, fuck this. Excuse mm -hmm. my French. And basically a coup d'etat of the government. And I'm not trying to scare people, but we're being honest about it. Like eventually, yeah, you got to think we're a republic, a democratic republic of people. We have freedoms that other countries do not. We are armed like other countries are not America, like civilians. So considering all this, and this is like doomsday, like end of the world, crazy kind of shit. Mm -hmm. I could see that more than likely happening than us dipping in superiority militarily, mm -hmm. where American citizens would just go at war with each other simply because the people are tired of the government not representing them well. Well... Okay. That kind of sounds like another episode of Upgrade America Civil War 2. That's something uh, to be discussed in the future, the feasibility of it. and It's a lot to, to consider, but yeah, it's um, that is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Particularly seeing how um, just the trend of the nation is right now. But yeah. who could say? Go oh, either. Quick correction before we close out. So Basically, 20 years and less since its birth, America has been at peace. Hmm. That so it's about 20 years-ish. But that goes to show we are a, a warrior state. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. That's something, to, again, that's something to be determined in the, in the coming years. Like, can we keep this momentum of perpetual warfare? Mm-hmm. No, I guess something else is to be discussed is like, who haven't we attacked? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, like I said, shout out to all the intelligence agencies. Definitely listening to this episode. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but we got to talk about I, what's real out here. I, I would love to have uh, one of you, you on the show. You yeah, can change absolutely. your voice and like edit yeah. you out so yeah, you don't compromise you your identity. Yeah. But yeah, Upgrade America, greatest show on earth, man. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Peace. Peace. Woohoo!